Matthew 24, verses 42 to 44. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. But you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Thanks, Christine. Thank you very much. Okay, you guys may have a seat. I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, we all live in a very busy world with many distractions. We are all prone to be pulled in so many different directions. We are all tempted to live in our own individual stories. But Jesus, I pray that you would use our time in your word this morning to open our eyes to the bigger story, your story. Help us to live in light of that story. Help us to insert ourselves as smaller characters in your story. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to give three analogies to kind of set up today. Three different analogies that will hopefully, at least one of them will make sense for uh, different people. First analogy, football. When I was in high school, I was on the football team. And I was often pulled out. I played offense and defense, but I was often pulled out for a break. And when I was on a break, I knew two things. I knew that I was going back in at some point, but I also knew that I didn't know when I was going back in. And so what that meant was I couldn't just sit on the bench because if I sat on the bench, my legs would get cold. And then when they called me back in, I'd kind of be stiff and I'd be like, ah, I'd have to get warmed up again. So on the sidelines, I'd be resting and catching my breath, but I'd also kind of stay loose because I'm ready. I got to go back in at any moment. They're going to call me back in. So I had to be ready. First analogy. Second analogy, um, I was talking to Danny Dornacker Jr. yesterday. Him and his brother Matt work for the Jersey City Fire Department. Their, their father, Danny, senior, recently retired from there. But, but Danny was telling me that it's different when they go to sleep at the firehouse than when he goes to sleep at home. It's different. He can sleep in, at the firehouse, but he's got to be ready to go. If there's a fire, he's got to be ready to go if they call on him. So he has a walkie next to the bed, he says, and he, he kind of has it down low so he can sort of sleep, but also be ready if they call, if there's a fire, if he hears his name. He's got his clothes right next to the bed so he can jump right into them. He said he's got his gear next to the truck. He's got the boots stuck up in the pants so he can kind of slide right into them so he can be ready to go. So he can go to sleep. He can go to sleep. He can rest. He can, but the point of resting is so that he can be alert and ready to go and ready to do his duty when he's called upon. Third analogy. When my wife was pregnant with our youngest daughter, Tessa, seven years ago now, um, it was... Uh, the end of June, we knew she was due any moment. We knew the baby could come any moment. So 
we had the bags packed, ready to go to the hospital. We had our mother, on, my mother, on standby so that she could come over and watch the two older girls so that we could go to the hospital. But we didn't know when. We didn't know when the baby was coming exactly. We just knew we had to be ready for any moment. So there was a part of us that was like, I couldn't, I couldn't go away for too long, right? I had to kind of stick close to home just in case, just in case. And so that's kind of the idea here that we're going to be exploring today, spiritually. Jesus says, be ready. You don't know when the Son of Man's coming. You don't know when I'm going to return. I want my people to be ready spiritually. And it's hard in this world that we live in not to be ready spiritually. It's hard especially for young people, teenagers, right, who've got phones, who've got friends, who've got things going on, it's easy to be like, ah, I got other things to be involved in. In fact, I was talking to somebody this past week who shared that uh, even though they grew up in a home, a Christian home, uh, they were involved in things that they said, I knew it wasn't right, but in my mind I thought I'd get serious about religious stuff later on. Later on I'll get serious about that. Right now I need to have fun. And that's a common thought process. There's two things wrong with it. Number one, there's the assumption that knowing Jesus is not fun. When in reality, knowing Jesus means more joy, more peace, more fulfillment in life. But there's a lie that we all believe that says, nah, knowing Jesus is going to make your life boring. Do the fun stuff now, and you can get right with Jesus when you're too old to do the fun stuff. Right? That's a lie that we fall into. The second thing wrong with that thinking is the assumption that there's always going to be a later. That there's going to be time. In reality, that's not the case. See, Jesus said, I can come back any moment. I want you guys to be ready. We could also die at any moment. I hear often about people dying who are younger than me. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. So Jesus wants us to be ready spiritually. So the title of today is Keep Watch with Devoted Hearts. We're going to be in Matthew 24, starting in verse 42, where Christine just read from. And we're going to go up to Verse 13 of chapter 25, uh, this is the, the larger context of, of this, this passage is Jesus is his last teaching with his disciples. Like his last extended teaching that Matthew records with his disciples, he, it's a few days before he's going to die. And he's giving some sobering teaching to his disciples. Uh, we, we looked last week at this verse. This is where we kind of left off last week and in chapter 24, where Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And so we talked about that. What does that mean? Jesus wants his victory, his victory over sin and death to be made known to the whole world before he returns. He wants his people to be uh, aligned with this priority, to care about this priority. We talked about the implications of that last week. Uh, and then the, as he goes through chapter 24, he, he continues to talk about signs of the end. They had immediate fulfillment in 70 AD when the temple was destroyed by the Romans. There was an immediate fulfillment in some of those warnings that Jesus got into. But there's also a, a, another fulfillment of that coming in the future that we need to be on, uh, aware of. 
to keep us sober-minded. I was tempted to try to get into the, the weeds of end times timelines and theology, um, but I just feel like if we opened up that can of worms, there's not enough time to really unpack it faithfully, so that will probably have to be a separate series, because uh, I do want to do that at some point. Uh, and, and I'm going to talk to Pastor Rigo about whether it's a preaching series or a class, but to really unpack that with some of the slightly different views uh, that are represented in our church, me and Pastor Rigo slightly disagree over some of that timeline stuff. Uh, so we do want to get into that. Um, but for yet last week and today, I really just want to step back and go, what's Jesus's overall point? What's he trying to do here? And, and here's basically it. This is what he's saying. He's saying, I'm coming back. Things are going to get rough for my followers. So, so anybody who follows Jesus is going to get rough. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be persecution. He says, don't chase after people who claim they're the solution. There's going to be false messiahs. There were in his time. In fact, there were false messiahs who uh, claimed that they were going to lead the way in overcoming the Romans. And that was part of the reason so many Jews were slaughtered in 70 AD when the Romans ransacked Jerusalem. Christians barely got killed because they listened to Jesus' words and they fled and they got out of it there. But even in our time, there's false messiahs. They might not call themselves the messiah, but there's other political rulers that we're going to be tempted to chase after and go, oh, if only they were in charge. If only they were in charge. Don't fall for it, Jesus says. Don't turn cold and bitter. It's going to happen, Jesus says. May, may, may we not be among them who turn cold. Endure. Care about my priorities. Be alert. Be faithful. That's kind of the idea in Matthew 24 and 25. That's what he's trying to get across. And so as we go through this, um, that's what you're going to hear resounding over and over again. So let's, let's dive in, starting in verse 42, where Christine read from. Jesus said, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would have not let his house be broken into. Right? If you know a thief is coming and you know when he's coming, you're going to have your baseball bat and whatever weapon you have, you're ready to go, Right? But you don't know, so you've got to be ready. Even if you're sleeping, you've got to know what the plan is if somebody breaks in. And she's like, yeah, I want you guys to be ready for my return. Don't get apathetic. Don't fall asleep spiritually. Don't let your heart get kidnapped by the trivial matters of the world. And then to drive home this point, Jesus goes into four parables. Four back-to-back -back parables. We're not going to cover all four. We're just going to touch on the first two. Uh, you can read the, the last two uh, later this week. But these are some sobering parables. They're, they're kind of some of Jesus' more scary words. I hear people say sometimes, they're like, I just want to listen to the words of Jesus. Some of the other stuff in the Bible, I don't know about. It's like, but Jesus' words were also kind of sobering and scary at times. And this is, this is some of them. So we're going to start with the first parable. He says, Verse 5, or 45, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing so when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. So the master who's gone and is going to come back at any moment, that represents Jesus who can come back at a, any moment. And, and, and he's put a servant in charge to take care of his stuff. Just like he, Jesus has left his followers in charge of advancing his kingdom in this world. 
representing him in every nook and cranny of society. And he's going to return. And he's going to see how we served his purposes. The servant here was to serve the purposes of the master. And if the master came home and says, oh, you were faithful, he puts him in charge of all his possessions. And this is a reference to when Jesus uh, brings a new heaven and a new earth, establishes uh, his ultimate kingdom on this earth. We, his followers, are going to reign with him. And we're going to have responsibilities. And, and we're going to be in charge of things. We're not just going to be floating on a cloud somewhere, bored out of our minds. There's going to be a new earth, and we're going to get to do things. That's what the Bible uh, tells us. And so uh, if you're alive right now and you follow Jesus, you have a chance, you have an opportunity every day to serve his purposes. If you're alive, there's, there's no point where you're too old to live for the master. There's no point where you're too old to live for the master. Retirement doesn't mean you're done. In fact, one of the wrong ways that we interpret this idea that Jesus is coming back is that we get lazy and go, well, I guess things are just going to suck until he returns. I'll just wait and watch TV. Like, no, Jesus, like, be busy about my kingdom until you die or I return. Use every resource I've given you, uh, time, money, your talents, your gifts, if you go to school, that's an opportunity. If you go to college, that's an opportunity. If you are a dentist like Dr. Bob DiStefano, uh, serve me where you're at. Use those opportunities to advance my kingdom, to bring order to chaos, to uh, be salt and light, to influence people, to show my love to them. Be faithful. Be a faithful steward. It doesn't matter if you have $500,000 or if you have $10,000. Either way, he said, you can be faithful. You can serve my purposes. How we manage our wealth and our money and our resources shows whether God is truly our master. And listen, when, when Jesus says uh, that, that, the, that the master will give the servant a charge over all his possessions, that. That should motivate us. Like, oh, wow, there's a reward for living for him. There's a reward for serving him. There's nothing wrong with being motivated by a future kingdom reward that we get. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, wow, man, I'm living for, I'm investing in my future. You want to be a wise investor? Take your resources, all of them, and say, God, they're yours. And I'm going to steward them well until that day because I know I'm investing in my future. That's Jesus' idea here. Now, he contrasts this servant, verse 48. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed, and he begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces. Whoa. And put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. Wow. So if the wicked servant says, ah, he's delayed, he's, he's taken a long time, which is a hint that we are going to sometimes be tempted to think that about Jesus' return. My gosh, he, he hasn't come back yet. It's been 2,000 years. Ah, is he really going to come back? Is he really going to come back? So there's going to be a temptation to either consciously doubt his return or at least drift yeah, sure, I believe in his return, but I'm going to, our hearts will drift, and we're going to live as if he's not returning. 
We're going to live. We're going to, like the back in the football analogy, sitting on the bench. I'm not going back in. The coach hasn't put me back in yet. I'm not going back in. Or the baby hasn't come yet. We're not going to go to the hospital. You know, I'm not going to pack a bag. If it hasn't come now, you know, if it hasn't come by now, it might not come. Like, that's foolish, right? And she's like, don't do that. Don't be like that wicked servant who forgot that his master was coming back, figured that because he's delayed, he's going to drift off into selfish living, self-absorbed living. I'm not going to serve my master's purposes. I'm going to live for myself. That's a temptation in all of us. Why should I live for Jesus? I can't see him. I can't touch him right now. I don't know if he's coming back. I got to be happy now. I got to pursue pleasures now. I got to pursue comforts now. I got to just make myself happy now. What else did this guy do? He, he, he beat his fellow servants. He mistreated others. That's going to be a temptation for us. I think Jesus is hinting at to mistreat, not love our neighbor as ourselves. Close up, get guarded, put up so many boundaries that we can uh, not love others, not love our enemies. I mean, think about it. If Jesus is not coming back, there's a temptation to go, well, then I got to get my justice now. I got to get even now. Instead of saying, no, no, Jesus can show up any moment. I want him to find me loving my enemies, and he'll bring justice when he brings justice. And then eating and drinking with drunkards. That's the idea of just indulging our cravings, whether it's with alcohol or with anything else. Food, chasing after any form of escape we can find. The point is that this servant was not actually devoted to the master. He didn't love the master. He maybe was a good servant when the master was looking, but when the master was away, he was like, I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to do my thing now. And then, uh, obviously, there's a consequence to that. And this is a violent way to paint the picture of that consequence. It's troubling. I don't like it, but it's in here. And I think Jesus, again, he's saying... How we manage our wealth, our money, our time, our talents, it shows who we belong to, whether we have truly been transformed by the reign and rule of God in our lives. If it's really touched our hearts, if we've really been born again into his kingdom by his spirit, we're going to live differently. I think Jesus, the whole context of Matthew, he's like, if you know how much I love you, if, if you see the depths of my love for you, remember, Matthew's writing this after Jesus has risen again from the grave. So if, you've, if you get how much I love you, if you see that I've risen, I've conquered death on your behalf, you're going you're gonna to take all your stuff and go, I want to live in light of your return. So that's one parable that should shake us awake, remind us, sober us up. You know, there's two difficult well, there's one difficult thing, um, two factors that make sometimes preaching to a mixed group difficult. Um, on one hand, there's people who belong to Jesus, and I don't want you to doubt whether you belong to Jesus because you have moments of failure and seasons of dryness. Like, once you belong to Jesus, you always belong to Jesus. Nothing could take you out of his hand. Nothing could take you out of his kingdom. He doesn't adopt us and then go, man, you had a bad week. Get out of here. 
I'm trading you in. He doesn't do that. And I want you to feel the reassurance that God loves you. And even if you've drifted uh, into some form of half-sleepiness, just trust that, okay, he just wants to wake you up so that you can live with greater purpose for him. I don't want anybody to doubt their salvation if they're saved. But then there's people who claim to follow Jesus and belong to him who aren't. And I want you to doubt it if you're not. I want you to feel unsettled because you're insecure. You are not secure in him. And I want you to feel that so you get secure. And I don't know who's who. God does. And I just go, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give confidence to those who belong to you. And I pray that you would unsettle those who don't so that they can get right with you. I don't know who's who. I just got to trust the Holy Spirit to do that. But parables like this, I'll go, oh, man. I don't want anybody who belongs to Jesus to think, well, I might be like that servant. No, 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 no. Time tells, and, and God uses parables like this to go, no, no, I want to make sure that I'm living like I belong to him because I do belong to him. But I want others who don't belong to him to go, oh, man, I got to get right with him. I've been playing this religious game. I, yeah, I say the right things. I believe the right things about him. I know the Sunday school answers. But I've never bowed my knee and said, Jesus, you're my Lord. Have it all. My life is yours. And I want you to feel unsettled today. But only God knows who's who. All right, let's keep going. Second parable. This goes into chapter 25, verse 1. At that time, he's just rolling on with parables here. At that time, the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven, at that time, what time? When he returns. That's what he's talking about. When I return, at that time, the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven refers to the, ro- the rule and reign of God. How God operates, how God reigns, how God rules. At that time, when I return, the kingdom of God will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Ten virgins, another way to put that is uh, bridesmaids. They take their lamps and they go out to meet a bridegroom. This is a marriage metaphor. From the little bit that I know about Jewish weddings... And there's not a whole lot of uh, details that we have access to at this time, first century weddings, but there would be an engagement where the fathers would make a deal with each other. Whether you like it or not, that's just how it went. And then there would be a betrothal. There would be a ceremony where there would be uh, promises made, vows made. But then there would be a period of time, usually about a year, when the groom would go off to prepare for the marriage, and then he would come back at an unexpected time, on a day that nobody knew when he was coming, But he would come back, and when the bridesmaids would see him coming, they would go out to meet him, and then they would join him, and he would come for the the bride. They would usher him in for the bride and have their wedding. And if it was at night, they would go out with torches. And I think the typical procession was ten torches, ten lamps. So they'd go out to meet him, they'd light their lamps, and they would usher him back in. That's the picture Jesus is painting, this marriage metaphor. So the kingdom of heaven means that there's a king... Jesus is king. He's claiming to be the king. But this marriage metaphor is also a reminder that he's also claiming to be the groom who comes back for a bride. That's a metaphor that was used throughout the Old Testament. God is the groom. Israel was the bride. Jesus is here claiming to be God by claiming to be the groom who's going to return for his bride. And then there's these bridesmaids who represent those who profess to belong to Jesus. They claim to belong to Jesus, who are professing to be waiting for him. Verse 2, five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oils in, oil in jars along with their lamps. 
The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. So foolish ones didn't take extra oil. They weren't prepared. The wise ones had extra oil. They were ready. Foolish ones maybe didn't think it was going to be that long. We don't know why. But the wise ones were prepared to wait. They were prepared to wait, and they were prepared to get up and go. Now, they all went to sleep. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. Again, Jesus is hinting at the fact that it may feel like, man, where is he? It's been so long. Is this true? Now, they all went to sleep, and that's okay. They're not condemned for going to sleep. They got to get their rest. They got to sleep. So he's not condemning actual rest and sleep. He's not saying that. He's not saying, don't get your rest. Don't get your sleep. Don't rejuvenate. No, no, no. It's good to. But there's a purpose in resting. There's a purpose in sleep. And that's for us to be alert and be ready for Jesus. Verse 6. At midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. So they all wake up. All of them, they trim their lamps. They want to be ready. And they go out to meet the bridegroom. But the foolish ones are like, oh, snap. We don't have enough oil. And then they say to the wise one, can we get some of your oil? Because we didn't have enough oil. And again, because these bridesmaids represent people who profess to belong to Jesus, there's going to be some on the day that the groom comes who don't have oil. I think the oil represents the Spirit of God, often represented this Holy Spirit. And there's going to be many who claim to follow Jesus, who go through the motions, who maybe have their lamps trimmed on the outside. They look good and ready on the outside, but they don't have the Spirit of God in them. They haven't been born again. They don't truly belong to Jesus. When we really belong to Jesus, we, we're, the, he says it in John 3, we're born again by his Spirit. There's many who will say the right things, but again, haven't submitted to his reign and rule, haven't really trusted in his finished work on the cross, his sacrifice for us, walking around, going through motions and activities, but don't have his spirit. Verse 9, the wise ones say, no, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. So like, we can't share our oil with you. We don't have enough. And I think Jesus' point is that as much as we may love somebody else, we can't pour the Holy Spirit into them. Right? I can't say to my kids, oh, man, let me give you some of my spirit. I can't do that. I can point them to Jesus. I can pray for them. I can point things out in Scripture. I can say, you read Scripture, but I can't make them alive spiritually by God's Spirit i got to pray that the Spirit does His work in them, and that they, at some point, bow their knee and say, Jesus, I want to live for you. Now, two of them have been baptized, and they've professed that. But I pray that their lives will show that, yes, their hunger for Jesus is ever-increasing, and they want to live for Him, and they want to use their resources for Him. This is one reason why we believe that even if somebody was baptized as a baby, they should be baptized again once they make the decision to follow Jesus, once they make the decision to give their life to Jesus. 
baptized as a baby. Hopefully the parents, their intention was, okay, we want to raise my child to know Jesus. But once the child is old enough, whether they're six or 106, to say, okay, I'm going to live for Jesus, they're getting baptized. They're making that decision themselves. We can't put oil into somebody else. And baptism is just a symbol that I've got God's spirit. He's died for me. I belong to him. But we can't pour our oil into anyone else. Verse 10. But while they were on their way to buy the oil. So the foolish ones go off to buy oil. But while they're on their way, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet. And the door was shut. Wise ones got in, foolish ones did not. They didn't have the oil in time. They waited till the last minute. They were the ones who said, I'll get my religious stuff right later on. I'm going to do my thing now. I'll get right later on when I'm too old to have the fun I'm having. Verse 11, later the others also came, Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. So they're not allowed in. Because they were late? Well, yeah, but they were late because they didn't have hearts really devoted to the bridegroom. Their hearts were like, yeah, we're going to do our thing. We'll figure that out later. And then he shows up. And the idea is, if we know Jesus, if we really know Jesus, then we're going to want to live now for that day. We're going to not want to live in the present in light of the future day. When I got engaged to Jess, how foolish would I have been if I had thought to myself, well, we're not married yet, so I'm going to date other girls now, and then I'll get serious about her once we're married. She wouldn't have married me. Because how I lived during my engagement showed whether my heart was truly devoted to her or whether I just wanted to get married so I could cross it off my list and fit in with the rest of culture or something like that, right? And the same ideas with Jesus, how we live now, how we spend our time and our resources now, what we give our attention to now will show, are our hearts really devoted to him? Do we really love him? Have we really been touched by his love? Or is it just, well, I want to make sure I get into heaven so I'll get right at the last minute. That's the idea here. And then Jesus says, and this is his summary statement, which he said in the previous chapter that we read already, therefore keep watch. You do not know the day or the hour. Keep watch. Be ready. You don't know when I'm coming back. And not everyone who professes to belong to me actually belongs to me. Not everyone who professes that I'm their king actually bows their knee to me as their king. And there's a point when the door is shut. That's what this says. And it's scary and it's sobering. And, you know, there's definitely a part of me that wishes these last few chapters. Chapter 23, 24, 25, those are some sobering chapters. There's very little mention of God's love and God's grace in there. Now, his love and his grace is all over the pages of Scripture, but there's a reason why Jesus has taken these chapters to sober us up and go, you better wake up. You better stay awake. One of his followers that he loved dearly would be among those who fall away. Judas, 
proving that he really never belonged to Jesus in the first place. His heart was never devoted to Jesus. He had his own agenda for Jesus. And when Jesus wasn't fulfilling that agenda, he betrayed him, he gave him up. And Jesus knew that was going to be to happen. And there's going to be many people in every generation who profess the name of Jesus, who go to church, who volunteer, who go on youth retreats, who serve in a church, who look like their lamps are trimmed on the outside, but they don't have the oil, they're not devoted to him, and on that day, they're going to be shut out. Their rejection of Jesus will lead to God saying, okay then, you can have eternity without Jesus as your king. That's what you've been wanting. You're going to get it. And, 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 and the, the idea of hell, the idea of, of being separated from Jesus isn't something that people like to talk about. I don't like to talk about it. I don't like to point that out to people. But the same Jesus, the same words of Jesus that tell me he loves me and that he died for me and that he paid for my sins in full also tell me, man, there's a day coming when the door is shut and people are going to be knocking. He's going to say, sorry, I don't know you. I don't know you. Your heart wasn't devoted to me. You played the game. Here's what we're going to, how's we're going to end. The band's going to lead us in, in a couple songs and in a moment. Um, everybody should have gotten an, in, an index card. If you didn't get one, put your hand up and the ushers will put one in your hand. But everybody should have got one. Man, woman, child, teenager, you all should have gotten one. If you're old enough to write, put your hand up. Ushers will be walking around. Um, here's what we're, we're going to do as we, as we close, as we spend some time in worship. There's pens down here. There's a basket on either side of the stage, and there's pens down here. Uh, if you have a pen, you can use it. You can come down here and write. You can write in your seat. But here's the idea. Here's the idea. Um, I'm going to give you four different potential responses. And I'm assuming that not all of them may apply, that maybe God's Spirit may just highlight one of them for you. And maybe just write down what that one is. I'm going to show them to you in a moment. But maybe just write down, what, what's that one for you? Uh, <clears throat> okay, you guys ready to see these four? All right, I'm going to show them to you. Number one, this might be you. I need to stay spiritually awake by giving Jesus and his word more attention. Maybe this is you. Maybe this is you. Maybe it's not everybody, but maybe this is you. Maybe you're somebody who's like, man, I, I just wake up and rush into my day, and I don't really give Jesus much attention, and then I get tired at night. And Listen, this is one where I, in order to be spiritually awake and alert and um, to try to line up my heart with God's heart, I need time with Jesus every morning. I need time reading his word. I need time uh, praying according to his word. Otherwise, I can drift into a self-absorbed praying. You know self-absorbed praying? Jesus, serve my kingdom and do it now. Instead of, Jesus, help me to serve your kingdom. Help me to be alive for your kingdom, awake for your kingdom, alert for your kingdom. So I need that time. 
And so maybe that's you, where you need to commit to this. Just start here. Get into a book of the Bible and read it every day for 30 days. Give that a shot. Spend 15 minutes every morning. Spend 30 minutes every morning. Just commit. I'm going to do this for the next month. If that's you, write that down. You don't have to put your name on it, but just as, it's just an act of, okay, I'm writing this down. I want to be awake. I want to be alert. God's word will show us what are the things that we've been drifting into that we need to cut out. And that brings us to the next one. Number two, I need to stay spiritually awake by cutting out imposters and distractions. So this could be, let's say imposters, false False gods, counterfeit sources of joy, things that say, I'll make your life better, and they suck the joy out of us. It might be something immoral, like pornography. It might be something okay, but that we have been addicted to or, or indulge in too much. Video games, a hobby, something that we look to for escape food or drink or March Madness. It could be anything. Our careers, shopping, that we need to cut out or cut back on. Maybe just cut back on. Lord, I I need to spend less time doing that. It could be sleep. Maybe we just are so addicted to sleeping in that we need to cut back on that so we don't wake up and rush into our day and we have time with the Lord. Maybe it's TV at night so that we can get more sleep. Because being physically groggy keeps us spiritually groggy. I don't know. I don't know what it is for you. But maybe I'm praying that God's spirit, as we spend some time worshiping him, will highlight something in particular. So if number two is for you, put the specific distraction that you need to cut out or cut back on. Number three. Number three. I need to be more faithful with blank. So this is not everybody, but again, maybe it's one person, two people in here. Maybe it's half of us who can identify, you know what? My money, man, I just think about my money like it's my money. My time, I just think about my time like it's my time. And maybe the one and a half hours at church, it's like, all right, Jesus, there's your time. Now back to me time. I I don't know. It could be a gift. It could be a talent that you've been hoarding for yourself. could be your home. Now, these first three are for those who, who really do belong to Jesus. And Jesus is saying, hey, I just want you to be more faithful so that you can live with greater joy. This isn't, this isn't about earning anything. We're not performing for him. He's just like, you're going to be happier if you live according to my story, my purposes. But maybe for the person or the people who can say with honesty, you know what? I don't really belong to Jesus. I don't see him as my king. I've been one of those people playing that religious game. Well, then maybe this last one's for you. I need to give Jesus my life. Like, for real. I'm not depending on my parents knowing Jesus for me to be saved. I'm, I recognize I gotta bow my knee to him. I can't be depending on the fact that I've come to church as if God's like, okay, well, you're in my kingdom. No, I got to bow my, I got to trust in Jesus' saving work on the cross on my behalf. If that's you, you just write that down. And then join us for our baptism in two weeks. So the band's going to lead us. Um, 
the reason we have baskets to put this in, uh, twofold. Um, we're, we're, we're physical beings. God gave us bodies, right? You guys can stand, actually, with those physical bodies, if you're able. Can you stand? God's given us physical bodies, and there's something about movement with our bodies, whether we're raising our hands while we're singing, writing something down that God has shown us, taking a step to the front of an auditorium and dropping something in a basket. There's nothing magical about that, but it's a step. It's a declaration. It's a commitment. It's saying, God, I'm willing to walk these 50 yards, 20 yards, whatever it is, to drop this thing. I want to be serious here. I want to live for you. That's all it is. And then the other reason is just so uh, later on we can be praying. Uh, I like to pray for those. So as we sing, you can come and drop that in at any point. There's pens down there if you want to use those pens. But let me just pray one more time. Lord, God, I'll start with my kids. I pray for my kids. I pray that they really know you. That they don't get so used to church and Bible answers that that they think they know you when they don't. I pray that they know you, that they want to keep knowing you, that their hunger for you is always increasing. I pray for all the kids in our church, the same thing, what's going on back there today. I pray that you would light their hearts on fire for you. We don't want kids that just behave like Christians. We want kids in love with Jesus. We want them in love with you because they know that you love them so much first. May they get how much you love them. And I pray for parents. God, I pray that they would get how much you love them and that you have a a full kingdom waiting for them and that you've given them a down payment of your kingdom now through your spirit that they would live for you now. I pray for all the adults and the teenagers. Protect us from distractions. Protect us from imposters. Protect us from the silly ways that we rationalize. That we rationalize our sin, that we rationalize chasing after false gods. God, I pray for retired people. May they not be retired from serving your kingdom. May they serve your kingdom to the very end. May their lives be wrung out like a sponge every day for you. May you show them opportunities every day. I pray for those who work in jobs. God, may they go into those jobs as ambassadors of your kingdom. On mission for you. Pray for those in school and college. God, let them go into those classrooms and those hallways with your love spilling out of them. In your name I pray, amen. All right, so the baskets will be on either side. The band's gonna lead us for a little bit.